turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And would you uh, join me in prayer as we now turn to God's Word. Lord, we want to, to hear from you. We thank you for the words of the Bible which are life to us, which are truth to us, which show us who you are and who we are and show us the truth about this world that we live in. And so, Lord, I pray you would make us good hearers of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are a series of seven letters to seven different churches in the Roman Empire during this time. And they were written by Jesus, given through this disciple named John. And these letters were written to particular churches to address particular challenges and circumstances that they were facing. But at the end of each letter, it also says, Let anyone who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so while these are letters to particular churches in their own particular circumstances, they also have a word for us. And if we're willing to hear it, uh, we need to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. So Pastor Sims got us kicked off a couple weeks ago on on these these letters to these churches with that really fantastic and challenging sermon uh, from the letter to the church at Ephesus. And today we're going to look at the second letter, the letter to the church in Smyrna. Each of these seven churches are in danger. They are in danger of compromising their faith. Christians at this time were a small minority in the cities of the Roman Empire, and they were under pressure to conform, to conform to the world around them. They're under a great deal of pressure to compromise their faith and to become just like uh, the people around them in the cities, to compromise their belief that Jesus is the center of all reality. They're under pressure to compromise their righteousness by giving in to the immorality of the culture around them. They're under pressure to compromise by pursuing the safety and the comfort and the wealth that runs to them through Jesus. And so the call over and over again in these letters is the call to overcome or to be victorious over those temptations to conform. To overcome the pressure that they were experiencing and to keep their eyes on Jesus. Remain faithful to him. There are other voices in the world right now clamoring for your attention and for your allegiance. Other pressures, but remain faithful to him. Keep him at the center. This pressure to conform in the book of Revelation is called tribulation. And the Greek word is the word philipsis. It's kind of hard to say. Philipsis. And it's a, word, it's a word that's used to describe persecution or trying times. But even more specifically, it means pressure. It's the same word that describes the force being used in a wine press. When the wine is pressed together so that the juice spills out. Philipsis is pressure. Crushing pressure. You turn back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. John says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, the thalipsis, and kingdom 
and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. In this verse, John says that he is a fellow partaker in Jesus, in the kingdom, in tribulation, and in perseverance. To be in Jesus is to be a citizen of his kingdom. To call Jesus Lord. And to be in Jesus and to call him Lord requires perseverance to overcome the pressure to conform to the world around us. When we are in Jesus, we encounter the pressure of two kingdoms. The good and eternal kingdom of Jesus and all the other little kind of kingdoms that demand your attention and your allegiance. And those little kingdoms, they push and they squeeze us. They apply crushing pressure to conform us to their way. And so John reminds these churches that he knows about their pressure, their suffering. He is a fellow partaker in their tribulation, the pressure that comes from following Jesus. Peter says in one of his letters, he says this, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. To be in Jesus is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, which means that we live in competing, the competing kingdoms of this world that causes pressure, causes this philipsis, this tribulation. All seven of these churches are experiencing this tribulation, this pressure to conform. And for at least two of these churches, including the church at Smyrna that we're looking at today, they are facing the threat of physical persecution if they don't conform. If they don't conform to the culture, they were threatened with physical violence, with imprisonment, imprisonment and even death. Their faith in Jesus was seen as a threat. They were refusing to participate in the worship of Caesar. They were committed to the good news that Jesus alone is Lord. And because of the particular circumstances in their city and their faithful response to those circumstances, they are being persecuted. They're being thrown in prison and their lives are being threatened. Each of these seven letters gives the churches encouragement and challenge to remain faithful in the midst of this pressure. And each of these letters then equip the churches with two things, two gifts, to help the church to endure and overcome this pressure. The first is they are reminded of the character of Jesus. And second, they are reminded of the hope that they have in their future. The challenge to overcome, to be victorious, is not done in their own strength. It is done through hiding ourselves, resting in the strong and good shepherd, and by placing fully our hope in the future that he is bringing, when he will bring all things to their good end. The victory is won by him. And our victory comes by trusting and resting in his victory, in his character, and in the hope that he has for the future. So let's read this letter to the church 
in Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by a second death. Let me just give you a little bit of a a background of what's going on in the city of Smyrna as as we begin here. Smyrna is undergoing persecution, and this letter is a message that the message from Jesus that the persecution is is going to get worse. In this particular city, the persecution was not only coming from the Roman government, but was also coming from a group of Jews that were living in the city. At certain times and places throughout the Roman Empire, the Jews were given this an exemption from the Roman government about worshiping the emperor. Because they had been in the land for such a long time, at certain times the Roman government would give them an exemption because they were a monotheistic religion in the land and they wouldn't have to participate in those, in those practices. And so this began to create some conflict between this group of Jews in the city and the Jewish Christians that were living there. Were the Jewish Christians really Jews? And would Christians get to enjoy the same allowances and protections that the Jews of that city enjoyed or not? And in Smyrna, this particular group of Jews in that city had begun to create some political distance between themselves and these Christians who were claiming to follow the Jewish Messiah. They didn't want to be associated with this group of people that was beginning to be seen as revolutionary. And so they began to slander and persecute Jewish Christians and to create this distinction between themselves and Christians. So this is what verse 9 is referring to when it says that the Christians are suffering slander from those who say that they are Jews but are not. This Jewish community in Smyrna that was persecuting those who were following the Jewish Messiah, John calls a synagogue of Satan. They were slandering those who were following Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. So the church in Smyrna, they're being persecuted and they're being pushed and squeezed from two sides. Politically from the Roman government and from the Jewish religious leaders in the city. And so this letter is written to this church and they're encouraged to remain faithful because of who Jesus is and because of this future hope that they have in him. And so in this letter, Jesus begins by making clear about his identity, that he is the first and the last and the one who came back to life again. This is who he is. This is the character of Jesus that they need to remember right now. I am the first and the last who died and came to life again. Jesus is the source of our life, and he is the end goal of our life. He is the first and the last, the source and the goal. 
The lives that we live right now begin with Jesus as he is the source of our life and it moves toward a time when everything will be summed up in him. The Gospel of John says that in the beginning that by him and for him and through him all things were created. He is the source of life, the one who gives life and breath and every other thing. And he is also the end. He is the the last. He is the end goal of all things. Philippians says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Ephesians says that the mystery of God's will is that all things in heaven and earth will come together under one authority, Jesus Christ. Colossians says that at the end, that God is at work reconciling all things in heaven and earth in Jesus. Our ability to endure this pressure comes from knowing who Jesus is as our source and also as our goal. He is also the one who died and came back to life. The church in Smyrna is being threatened, persecuted. Their lives are being threatened, so they need to remember who Jesus is. He is the one who died, but who came back to life again. All of us have to face the reality of our own death. Our bodies right now are alive. They're they're animated. We can move and we can have thoughts and we can have memories. But all of that one day will come to an end. Our bodies will return to dust. That is a sobering and fearful thing. Our death is an enemy. But it is not an enemy that we need to fear any longer. Jesus is the one who died and then conquered death. He was dead and is now alive. Death for those in Jesus, for those like Evangeline today, who died and have been raised with Christ. Death has lost its sting. We will still face it, we will still go through it, but it's no longer a thing we need to fear for those who are in Christ, the one who is the first and the last. And the one who has conquered death. And then Jesus tells us a little bit more about who he is for the church in Smyrna and for us. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. He is the son of man standing among the lampstands of his churches. He knows our trials. He knows our pressures that we endure. He knows both the general pressures that we have here in Fort Wayne and the United States. He knows the the pressures that churches throughout the world are facing. And he also knows your particular pressures, your particular sufferings. He sees them. Not only does he see them, but he knows them because he's experienced them himself. He has endured them. He has suffered through the trials and the frustrations of human life. He suffered being misunderstood. He suffered being ridiculed. He suffered mistreatment by his enemies and the silence and the abandonment of his own friends. He suffered the physical agony of death on the cross. He sees and he knows your afflictions. So he says to them, because I'm the first and the last, because I'm the beginning and the end, because I was dead but goes conquered death and and was made alive again. Stand firm in this trial. Even, church, if you face death, I will give you, he says, the crown of life. 
This crown was a, a wreath that was given to someone who won an athletic event. It was a prize. And Jesus says, if you will endure, I will give you the crown, this prize of eternal life. That's the future hope that's promised here to the church in Smyrna. In this life, they may face physical violence or even death. They know that, but they know that through their faith in Jesus, they will not experience what Jesus says here as the second death, an eternal death, eternal separation from God for those who reject him. And so instead of experiencing the second death, an eternal one, Jesus will give them the crown of life, the sign of victory that is only his to give because he is the one who conquered death and is now alive. There's something missing in the letter to the church of Smyrna that most of the other letters have. Did anyone notice what's missing in the letter to the church of Smyrna? What's that? What I have against you. That's right. Most of these letters begins with Jesus telling the church who he is, giving them an identity, then commending them for the good things that they've done, but then says, but yet I have this thing against you. In the church of Smyrna, that's not there. And it's also not there in the church in Philadelphia. The church in Ephesus, we heard that Jesus commended them for all of their good work that they did, but he had this against them. They've lost their first love. They look good on the outside, but inside they've, they've lost their, their fire of love in their heart for Jesus and for one another. So most of these letters, five of them, have this element in it, some form of correction, some form of rebuke, some call to repentance. I have this thing against you. But there are these two churches that do not receive any correction or rebuke from the Lord. The church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. And these are the two churches that are undergoing physical persecution. The threat of violence, the threat of imprisonment, the threat of death because of their faith. I want to suggest to you that that is not a coincidence. The persecution and the suffering that they faced had already accomplished a refining work in them. Their suffering and their faithfulness had shaped them and formed them to be like Jesus. And because of that, there was nothing in them that needed correction. That suffering and that persecution had already shaped and formed them. As they responded to that suffering by faithfulness to Jesus... That had formed them so that they no longer needed any correction from him. When we experience tribulation, when we experience suffering, philipsis, pressure, there are two forces at work in our lives that have a purpose in our suffering. The first is our enemy, Satan, the devil. The church in Smyrna is facing this pressure to conform. One, from the political leaders of Rome, as well as the Jewish religious leaders in the synagogue. They want them to conform. And those leaders, those political and religious leaders, those are the visible flesh and blood people that are coming against the church. But there is an invisible personality behind the flesh and the blood. Verse 10 says that this is the devil at work. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. 
the force behind and causing persecution is our enemy, the devil. He is the one who causes this, this pressure, this thalipsis. Satan is the spirit behind those people who persecute Christians. And his purpose in inflicting this pressure is that the suffering of God's people would be so great that they would be afraid and abandon their faith in him. His goal in causing this pressure in our life, in the life of the church in Smyrna, is to cause us to doubt God or to lose our faith in Him altogether. To rob us of our future hope. To cause us to fix our attention so much on the suffering and pain in front of us that we forget our eternal hope. Satan's designs, his purpose in your suffering, is to destroy your faith. To destroy the hope that you have in Christ. But what we see over and over again in Scripture is that God has His own purpose in your suffering. His purpose is to refine and strengthen your faith. Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, I know your suffering. And I know that there is more suffering coming. You are about to face a season of intense suffering. He knows it and he is Lord, but he doesn't stop it. Rather than stopping it, he encourages them and he calls them to endure to persevere, to push through that pressure and to overcome because I have a purpose in it to refine you and to make my glory reflected even in greater ways because of your perseverance and your faithfulness. And this seems to be exactly what happened to the church in Smyrna. They had faced a great deal of suffering because of their faith. Satan caused them a great deal of pain and they have stayed firm. And God used that season of suffering and persecution to refine them so that when he examines them, when Jesus writes these words to them, he has nothing of rebuke to say to them. No correction. God used the suffering in their life to refine and to purify the church. Friends, we need to remember that suffering is not our enemy. Sin is our enemy. And no matter what we face, we must be, remember that we need to be willing to suffer in order to avoid sin, not sin to avoid suffering. Let me say that again. No matter what we face, we have to remember that we need to be willing to suffer to avoid sin, but to never sin to avoid suffering. As our culture increasingly challenges our faith, as our faith increasingly is treated as, as foolishness to the world around us, as we are subtly and sometimes not so subtly treated as stupid or backwards or even dangerous because of our faith, as we experience the lack of economic influence or political influence in our culture, we are going to be tempted to sin in order to avoid suffering. And we have to refuse to sin in order to avoid suffering. It was a, a preacher in the, the 4th century. His name was John Chrysostom. He was given the, the name Golden Tongue because of, because, of, because of his preaching. And he says this to a suffering church. He says, as long as we remain sheep, we overcome. Even though we may be surrounded by a thousand wolves, we overcome and are victorious. 
But as soon as we become wolves ourselves, we are beaten. For then we lose the support of the Good Shepherd who feeds not wolves, but only sheep. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against sin and the evil one who wants to destroy your soul. And if he can destroy your soul by making us respond to insult with more and greater insults, or violence with more and greater violence, or slander with more and greater slander, he will take that as a way of destroying our soul. If we can become wolves, he will have won. The church in Smyrna refused to sin in order to avoid suffering. They persevered. They fixed their eyes on Jesus, the first and the last. They trusted that he had overcome death for their sake. The church in Smyrna held on tight to Jesus. They persevered, and in doing so, they became like him and received the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. How do we respond to the message that we've heard today? There's three things that I want to say to us about how we respond to this this word to this persecuted church from 2,000 years ago. The first is this. Be aware that worldly privilege comes with spiritual danger. We'll talk about these more in the weeks to come because we're going to see that actually there was a couple of these churches that were pretty privileged. They they had wealth. They were um, really doing pretty well. They were pretty comfortable where they were. We need to remember that worldly privilege comes with spiritual danger. Again, we'll talk about this more in the letters that come, but let's, let's begin today to consider the ways that the idols of our culture, our comfort, our safety, our wealth, our security, that these are all things that we have enjoyed as Christians in the United States over the last 200 or more years. And they are good things. But they can become idols if we allow them to become the center and our focus. And we can become lukewarm and apathetic toward God if they become the thing that we are aiming at. If they are our idols, they will keep us from being willing to suffer for Christ. If they are our idols, they will cause us to sin in order to avoid suffering. There are things in our lives now that are worthy of the Lord's rebuke and correction and our repentance. And for many of us, it's these these idols of safety and security and wealth and economic prosperity and, and, and political influence. Again, these are all good things. But if they become idols, if they become the main thing, we will sin in order to protect them. So it's good for us to see them now, to confess those things now, rather than to experience the rebuke and the correction of the Lord later. Second. Be ready, not surprised. When suffering and pressure comes, be ready, not surprised. Peter tells us that we should not be surprised if we suffer in this life as followers of Jesus. It's not a strange thing. The good things that we have and we do enjoy here in America as Christians that I just mentioned, they're good things. But they're not requirements for faithfulness. The privileges that we have enjoyed are actually strange things in the history of Christian faith in the world throughout history and today. 
Amen. It's been a strange thing for us to have these, these privileges that we've, that we've received. And this last year has been a test for us as a church. We haven't been persecuted necessarily because we are Christians in this past year. But it's been a test as some of the comforts and safeties and securities of our life have been taken away. How have you responded to that test? Have you turned and allowed yourself to lean in more to Jesus? Has he become more your center this year? Have you been asking the question, what does the Lord want to do in my life in this season of testing? Have you turned more toward your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ during this season? In a time of persecution, if we are persecuted for our faith, the support and encouragement of other brothers and sisters is essential. So have you moved in this season toward believers in this time, or have you in some ways pushed them away? We need to be ready. When we suffer in this life for being a Christian, it's not a strange thing, Peter says. And the third thing in response is to pray for the persecuted church. Throughout Paul's letters, as he is in prison and as he's suffering, he often pleads with the people he's writing with to please to pray for me. So as we consider the persecuted church today in this letter to the church in Smyrna, I want us to take some time right now in our service together as a body to pray for the persecuted church. I'm going to read through um, the most recent three prayer requests from the Voice of the Martyrs uh, website of prayers for those who are being persecuted. So I'm going to read through uh, the descriptions of these um, three different individuals or circumstances. And then I'm going to leave a time for you to to simply pray. And to pray for these particular circumstances that I've read or for other persecuted Christians in the the world that you're aware of right now. So I'm going to take this this time to to pray for the persecuted church. So let me me read the the most recent prayer request from the Voice of the Martyrs website. A pastor and his family haven't left their home for more than 30 days after receiving threats from extremists. The pastor serves in a difficult area of the Middle East and has lived under pressure for many years. Recently, an extremist group began sending threatening messages to his phone. Some of the messages contain video of the extremists holding large knives and making motions as though they were going to slit his throat. His persecutors also appeared at his front door one day with automatic weapons, but the pastor and his family weren't there. After the attackers left, the family remained at home for a full month to avoid trouble. Local police have not been helpful. The voice of the martyr worker who spoke to them said, His wife was a bit emotional when I asked her about how she was handling it with their kids, but they seemed determined to stay there and love their neighbors. So pray for protection and good opportunities for this family. In Iran, in an Islamic regime where women do not have many rights, God is using women as his brave ambassadors. After someone shared the gospel with Sister A, she became a believer and was later baptized. She began sharing Christ with her college friends and led several of them to the Lord in addition to her sister's. Today, she and one of her sisters orchestrate 27 house churches, 
meeting in homes across two different states. She has smuggled in 500 Bibles to share with the people she meets and leads to the Lord. Pray for the safety of Sister A, her sister and women like them. Pray that God gives them wisdom as they teach and lead. Pray for peace and a spirit of power, love, and sound mind for those serving the house churches in Iran. And then in China. Chinese Communist Party authorities recently sentenced a house church pastor to five and a half years in prison after he refused to let officials place patriotic slogans in his church. Pastor Li Junkai also received a fine of more than 7,000 U.S. dollars. When the government began oppressing house churches in 2018, they required this house church to change a sign reading, quote, love God and people to, quote, love country. They also told the church that they must remove the cross on their steeple. The church refused to comply. On February 20th, 2019, Pastor Lee was arrested along with three others for obstructing government administration. The others were released, but Pastor Lee remained in detention. In January 2021, officials finally handed down a five-and-a-half-year sentence to Pastor Lee. After the pastor's arrest, the cross atop the church was forcibly removed, and the Christian sign was forcibly replaced. Continue to pray for Christians in China who are following their consciences rather than the government. Would you join with me and just please feel free to pray aloud uh, your own prayers for these persecuted believers or for others that you know and are aware of. circumstances tend to make us cold or or lukewarm toward toward you, make us apathetic toward you. Help us to see that, to turn from it. Lord, I pray that when we we do suffer, it would not be a surprise to us, but that we would be ready for it, that we would be preparing for it now, that we would be, be ready for the suffering that may come in our life. God, I pray that we would not be surprised that we would be ready. We thank you again for these brothers and sisters in Christ uh, throughout the world who are suffering because of their faith. I pray that you would be with them, that you would strengthen them, Lord, that their witness would be an encouragement to us. And I pray that today that they would know that, that we here at Broadway Christian Church are standing with them in prayer. They would know that, that you are very near to them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 